You know, this morning I, I have a dog. She's named Lucy. She's really little, and she's very anxious. And she's an anxious dog. She just has all this energy, and she thinks she's a giant dog, but she's not. And I had to run home. And when I did, uh, Lucy started getting really anxious. But the key with my dog, who is very anxious, is that I can't seem anxious. And, and when I'm calm, she's calm. And if I freak out, if I match her energy, if I rile her up, she will get more anxious. And so this morning, wherever you are, whether you're in our sanctuary today or you're uh, tuning in online or on our phones, I just want you to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to imagine Jesus' face. See, I think that the same is true for us in that he's not anxious. When we look at his face, he's calm. And when we see him, we know that it is safe for us to be too. And so wherever you are this morning, can you lock eyes with Jesus in this moment? He wants to take away every anxiety, every fear, Lord, every doubt he wants to take. God, and when we choose to follow you, it means that we follow your leadership. And you lead in a very calm, Lord, in a very confident, in a very brave way. And so I want to follow that with my life. God, there are all sorts of reasons why I should not lead like that right now. Why I should lead a life out of fear, out of anxiety, God, out of doubt, out of uh, self-awareness and self-consciousness. Lord, out out of feeling like I need to control my life right now. But God, when I see you, I know that it is safe enough for me to trust you. Jesus, this morning, would you help me to trust you? God, we ask that you would help our nation to trust you. Holy Spirit, that you would help us as a church to trust you. God, we we love you. We believe that what you said is true that you are exactly who you say you are. God, would you be about anchor? Lord, even anchor around this, this world, around this city. God, even if we're sitting in our living rooms in our PJs and slippers, Lord, we know that you can still meet us here. Lord, your word says that we're three or more are gathered, that your spirit is there, and we are gathered together, and we know that you are among us. Jesus, we love you so much. Amen. You can take a seat. (laughs) Well, good morning. Thank you. Anybody else afraid of spiders? (laughs) Okay, I hate spiders. I hate spiders. Um, If there's a spider, I don't care how big or how small it is, 
I will probably tell you that it was like the size of my face because that's how terrifying they are to me, right? And if you're afraid of spiders, you know that there's a difference between, between being dead and being dead dead, right? You know, dead is like flicking it off your shoulder, maybe picking it up with a napkin, but dead dead is different. <laughs> dead dead is lighting that Kleenex on fire, stomping it out with your feet, flushing it down the toilet, and then it is dead, dead, not just dead. Now, Jesus, he actually, one of his very good friends was dead, dead, not just dead, like, uh, maybe they were still breathing, but nobody noticed. No, he was dead, dead, and his name was Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is a really good friend of Jesus, and also because Lazarus's sisters are Mary and Martha. And so while Jesus is doing his ministry, he gets word from a messenger that Lazarus has fallen deathly ill. How relevant, right? That Lazarus has fallen deathly ill. And, and look at how he responds in this moment. Look at this text. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Keep reading. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Which is a little odd, isn't it? You know, if my dad was sick, it would not take me two days to get there. It would take me about two minutes to book a flight and to get to his side. When you love somebody, you drop everything and you run to their side. Now, when we read this text, we find out that the messenger is about a day's trip away from where Jesus was. And so to put this into our scope, we would say that if Jesus was a, day's away, or a day away from this messenger, he leaves on Thursday. Thursday night, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is deathly ill. And then Jesus takes the weekend and Friday and Saturday, he waits. And Sunday morning, he leaves. And when Sunday night comes, he goes to the gravesite to find Lazarus dead. And he's been dead for four days. Which means that when Jesus said these words, when he said, this will not end in death, Lazarus was already dead. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, knew that it would not end this way. Interesting. And so he goes up uh, to the, the tomb, and he says, Martha, Mary, we need to open this tomb. And Mary and Martha, they have, like, a really good moment. And I'm a, a little sister myself, so I can appreciate this, because I think this is, like, one last sick burn of your older brother. And they say, don't open it. It's going to smell so bad. <laughs> um, yeah, don't open that. But they're saying that because he's been dead for four days. You know, he's been disintegrating. He's wrapped in burial cloths right now. And they're like, do not open that, Jesus. It's going to be so stinky. And, and what, what they do is that they open it. And Jesus goes to the tomb, and he calls out to Lazarus. And we all know this story, right? Lazarus walks out, and the first mummy <laughs> in the Bible, you know, he walks out with burial cloths wrapped around his legs, his arms, and his face completely alive after being dead, dead. 
Not just dead, but dead, dead. And in this moment, Jesus proves death to be a liar. Now, have you ever lost somebody that's pretty close to you? Now, when I lost my mom, I would have dreams about her. You know, I have vivid dreams. I'm a very vivid dreamer. Sometimes that gets me in trouble. But uh, every once in a while, I have this dream about my mom. And we'll be doing a variety of things. You know, we could be painting our nails or doing something crazy like inventing electric toilets or I don't know, a variety of things. And then when I wake up, for this half of a second, it feels like maybe she wasn't actually ever gone. And then I find out that, no, really, she is. And that's hard. But imagine Lazarus's family and friends. They wake up from a dream like that. And death really is a liar. And he really is back. Imagine what it would have felt like to be one of the sisters, to be one of his friends. Oh, he's back. He was really dead back there. <laughs> and then it continues on, and it says this, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Now notice what happens. It says that many Jews believe in Jesus because of this. Not like a few Jews. Many Jews. Thousands of Jews. I mean, if somebody raises somebody from the dead, you're probably going to listen to them, right? And so many people follow Jesus because of this. And a few people decide that they're going to take it into their own hands and run to the Pharisees. I, I love how Charles Spurgeon, he's a famous theologian, he said this, Reporting this to the Pharisees was some of the meanest conduct that has ever been recorded in human history. <laughs> they took something that was so beautiful, that was so powerful, and they were like, I'm going to tattle on you. I'm going to go and tell the Pharisees. And this is what the Pharisees say. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. Now, before we move on, look at this verse. It says, here is this man performing many signs. When you look at the original Greek of this, it's not talking necessarily about how great his miracles were, but how accurate, how accurate his signs were. And so don't miss this. The Pharisees, when we started this journey like seven weeks ago or something, they opposed Jesus because they didn't think he was the Messiah. And now, they're opposing him because they do think he's the Messiah. Interesting. Why oppose him? Why combat this man if you think and you see the signs that prove that he's the Messiah? And let's, let's keep reading verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Ah, there it is. If, it, if, if he keeps going on like this, we're going to be out of our jobs. Our economy is going to tank. Man, our livelihood is going to suffer. We cannot keep 
letting this happen as if they could control him. Verse 53, so from that, or, sorry, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Some of us maybe have wondered, you know, when did the story switch from Jesus being a nuisance to Jesus being somebody that needed to die? And this is that moment. From then on, they have decided they are going to kill Jesus. And the plot towards Calvary begins today. It says, therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a legion near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Now, Jesus stays around Judea still. He doesn't flee, which he really could have, right? He could have gone to any other country. He could have gone to people where, where the Jews aren't, where the Pharisees aren't, where the temple isn't. But he chooses to kind of stay on the peripheral of Judea. And the reason that this is is because Passover was about to happen. And Jesus wanted to be in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so thousands of people are flocking to Jerusalem right now. And Jesus is kind of on the run, so to speak. There's spies out looking for him to bring him to the Pharisees to kill him. And so he, he's maybe seen in the temple, but then he kind of goes to people's houses. He goes out into the wilderness. He is in the, the peripherals of the people's eyes. And, and during that time, he makes his way to Bethany, where Mary and Martha were. Because, let me, let's just talk about this. If somebody raises your brother from the dead, you're probably going to throw them a party, right? You know, you're going to at least cook something. You know, unless, you know, you're your brother's kind of a tool, then I don't know, maybe not. But, but they decide that they're going to throw Jesus a party. They want to throw him a dinner party and say, thank you so much, Jesus. You brought my brother back. And so they cook for him. And something beautiful happens at this party. Mary takes a jar of pure perfume that was valued at a year's worth of wages. Think about what a year's worth of wages is for you. And she breaks it, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And she washes her feet, or his feet, with her hair. And Judas sees this, and he says, what a waste. And Jesus says, let her do this, for you won't always have me. See, they're walking towards Calvary. And then this is what the text says next, 12 verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Lazarus became a tourist attraction. You know, let's go see the undead guy. You know, this is, this is interesting. Let's all go flock and see him. And so when they find out where Jesus is and Lazarus, it says, a large crowd of Jews. We've gone from crowds to large crowd of Jews <laughs> came to see him. And, and so this is how the, the chief priests respond. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And you can see that the chief priests, they're grasping at straws at this point. They're like, okay, well, they're believing in Jesus, so we're going to kill Jesus. 
and they're believing in Jesus because of this Lazarus guy, and you thought he was dead, dead before, but we're going to make him really dead, dead, you know? <laughs> we're going to kill him dead, and we're going to do it right this time. And they set out trying to kill Lazarus, and I love this. Adam Clark, he, he wrote this. He said, how blind were these men not to perceive that he who had raised him after he had been dead for four days could raise him again, though they, slay, they had slain him a thousand times. Now, this is not in Scripture. Like, I'm going off course here for a second. But this would be so cool to be in Scripture. If, like, the Pharisees caught up with him and, like, tried to kill him, and then Jesus raised him, you know? They're like, they stab him, and Jesus, like, heals him, and then they see him at a Starbucks later that day. They're like, God, I thought I got you, you know? And, you know, they hit him, and he's like, tis a flesh wound, you know? <laughs> All of this stuff had, like, this would have just been a wonderful back and forth. I, like, God, you missed an opportunity, but whatever. Anyway, but, but this would have been crazy, right? They're like, we're going to kill this guy, as if they're going to be able to. And they set out to kill Lazarus, because they want him dead, dead. They want him real dead. And so Passover comes, and they make their way to Jerusalem. They make their way to the temple. And so imagine this. Thousands of, of Jews, they're making a pilgrimage to the temple. On foot, on donkey, on camel, I don't know. They're all caravanning. And as they're walking, Jesus is with them. Jesus and the disciples are walking, and people probably recognize him. Hey, look. Is that that guy? You know, the one with the, the Lazarus guy, the smelly guy that came out of the tomb? Is that him? And look what, what it says, Mark 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Now, I think sometimes we miss how courageous our God is. Make no mistake, Jesus was wanted dead. He was heading towards Calvary. He was heading towards the cross. He was surrounded by Jews. And look where he is leading from the front. He is walking ahead of his disciples. Oh, I love it. And then this is what happens. He pulls them aside and he says, we just need to talk one more time. One more time before we get to Jerusalem. I want one more conversation before everything comes to pass. Keep reading. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, and three days later, he will rise. They pull up to the Jews, and they, he says, come here, lean in. We're headed to Jerusalem. When I get there, I'm going to be handed over to the people that are looking for me. They're going to kill me, but before that, they're going to flog me, they're going to spit on me, they're going to mock me, and then I'm going to be dead, dead. But don't worry. Three days later, I'm going to rise again, just like you saw Lazarus. I'm going to rise again. 
and they get back on the road, and they're heading towards the temple, and it says this, then, like right then, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do we want you to do whatever we ask. Which is a very interesting time to ask for a favor, don't you think? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? Jesus, I know you said like death, killing, mocking, spitting, all that stuff. That sounds terrible, but I need a favor. And we may laugh and we may be disgusted with James and John, but don't we do this? God, I know you are so mighty, you are so wonderful, you're so beautiful, you're so magnificent, mind blown, I don't even understand, but I just need you to help me with this one little thing. And James and John, they do this. They say, we want you to do whatever we ask. Listen to how he responds. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. (laughs) Man, so much holier than I am. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. They say, Jesus, when everything comes to pass, when there is glory to be had, we call dibs on shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) we want to sit at your right and at your left we want to be the guys we want to be second and third in command and jesus responds and he's like you have no idea what you're asking you have no clue and he's just like ah whatever you knuckleheads and they keep walking and this is what happens next when the 10 heard about this they became indignant with james and john Now, not so fast. This isn't because they were offended for Jesus, but because they didn't think of it first. (laughs) You know? Judas is probably like, no, I don't want us to sit there. We're going to sell those seats and make millions, you know? (laughs) Peter is like, I'm going to be the rock that your church is built on. I'll sit up there, you know? Bartholomew is like, who am I anyway? You know, I don't know. (laughs) James and John are like, let's do this. And Simon says, well, James started it. And Jesus has like a minivan on a road trip sort of moment with the disciples. You know, you know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been on a road trip with your parents, they're like, I don't care who started it, I'm going to finish it, right? I am pulling this caravan over. And so it says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. These are very, there's are four very important words. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's no way that the disciples understood what he was talking about. They had just seen a woman pour out an entire year worth of wages on his feet. They are heading to Jerusalem where thousands of Jews wait with palm branches and they are going to scream and cry and sing Hosanna in the highest king of Israel. Look at him. Look at this guy. There's no way that they could have understood this. I imagine that if I was one of the disciples, I'd say, Jesus, yeah, first shall be last. Those who, you know, they have to be the, the servant of them all. Yeah, that, that's great for an inaugural address. But Jesus, that's not how you win wars. That's not a political system. That's not going to work. And they don't get it. 
But the beauty is, is that they get it eventually. Actually, later that night, later that night, they go up to an upper room and they share the Passover meal together. Look what happens. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Let's go back to that, that slide. It says that Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power. In this moment, Jesus understood that everything was his. All power, all authority. If you've ever had dreams of grandeur, he knew that it was true. That all authority and all power had been given unto him. That he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, John, he recounts this in John 13. And notice how he writes this. Short, staccato phrases. Do not miss this. He says, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. See, it was custom during that time that the lowest servant of the household, when you had a bunch of people over for dinner, that lowest servant would wash all of their feet. And they had just eaten together. The entire meal had gone by, and not a single disciple had washed anybody's feet. Man, wouldn't you feel like a jerk at that table when Jesus gets up and wraps a towel around his waist? Now, this would, is a little difficult for us to imagine, but he would have been at a table that would be about the same height as a coffee table. They would have been kneeling with their feet behind them, their dirty, nasty, grubby, des desert feet behind them. And Jesus would come up and one by one kneel next to them and wash their feet. And suddenly it all made sense that the first shall be last. And that the, the, in the kingdom of God, pride has no place. The pride has no place in the kingdom of God. Because the reality is, is that if the guy on the throne can wash feet, then that means I can wash feet. That, that if he, who has attracted so many followers, watches the whole world believes in him, if that guy gets down and he washes my feet, then I must wash, wash feet too. And this is key to understanding the message of Jesus because his kingdom was just different. It was nothing that this world has ever experienced. This was not lording power over people like the Romans did. This was not enslaving people. This was not uh, pressuring people to believe in him. No. This was kneeling at their feet, 
and washing their toes. When I was a high schooler, uh, my youth pastor at the time, who was one of the most influential people in my entire life, there was one night at youth group that, that he preached about this, and he washed everybody's feet. And let me tell you, that was the most uncomfortable thing in my life. <laughs> but it was, I remember that moment. I remember feeling humbled and honored and humiliated and loved and cared for. And imagine what it would feel like for Jesus himself to be kneeling at your feet. This morning, this week, this month, we are a nation, we are a world of people that is scared of each other, that is not taking on a service mentality where the first shouldn't be last, but the first in line at Walmart to get the toilet paper is first. We are people that are scared of one another. And Jesus says no. Jesus was famous for touching and for being with people that he shouldn't be. And he kneeled down and he, he washed the disciples' feet. This morning, for those of you who are in our building today, Valor, Pastor Valerie and I are going to wash your feet. And I know that a whole realm of frustrations could come with that. Of, oh no, the C word. But I know that Jesus, he wants to meet you here. And he wants to explain the kingdom of God to you. And this is the best way to do it. Man, if there was any other way, I would totally choose it. But this morning is the morning that we're washing feet. And I would challenge you that if you find yourself this morning like, heck no. I would remember the people that said heck no to Jesus. Let's read this. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want to be about your kingdom. God, not our kingdom not our safety even, not even our panic. Lord, we want to be about your kingdom. And your kingdom requires that we are humbled before you, that there is no room for pride in your kingdom. There is no room for anxiety and fear to lord over us. Jesus, for you met us, knelt on the ground, towel in hand. Jesus, this morning as we, we see a glimpse of what your kingdom looks like, 
God, as we have our feet washed, maybe for the first time, Lord, I pray that you would show us a little bit closer of what your face looks like. Lord, that face that we looked at at the beginning of our time together. Lord, and how you are vastly different than we could ever imagine. So I want to invite you during this time as you worship Jesus um, to make your way up here. Valerie and I will be there ready and willing. And after you're done, please join and worship our God and our King with our worship team this morning. Take as much time as you need.